Tomorrow Into Today, a podcast dedicated to sharing the knowledge and language of artificial intelligence in the Department of Defense. Join us as we discuss the passion projects for some of today's brightest minds and how artificial intelligence is being cultivated, procured, and delivered throughout the U.S. government. Be prepared to learn how artificial intelligence has become a part of everyday life and is working to support and further government missions. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of AI Proficiency Turning Tomorrow Into Today. I'm Ariel Moore, the producer of this podcast. Again, today we are joined by our moderator, Kirsten, helping us gather relevant knowledge and expertise from our guest today, Frank Indiviglio, Chief Technology Officer at NOAA. So thank you for joining us today. Kirsten, the floor is yours. Hello and welcome back to another episode of AI Proficiency Turning Tomorrow into Today. We are still here at GuyTech in Annapolis, Maryland, and today I have the opportunity to sit down with Frank Indiviglio. Frank and I have been on a couple of panels together. We're about to be on a panel here soon again. But this time we get to sit down and have a little bit more personal conversation about Frank and the work that you do. But to kick things off, I'd love to hear a little bit about your background and how you got to the point in your career that you're at today. And just share this a little bit about yourself and, and what it is that you do. Sure. So thanks for having me. It's good to see everybody again. So I'm Frank Indiviglio, I'm the CTO at NOAA, and I've been at NOAA for about 12 years now. He asked me how I got here. It's a, it's kind of a weird twisty road, but it's good, right? So I started off supporting television and other, other media, and I wound up in weather, and I don't know how that happened, but it did. Um, so my background is in, in systems and storage, and that's kind of guided me along this kind of interesting windy path from cross sciences and, and, and industry. So it's been a fun a fun journey, but, and there's still more to go, but it's been interesting. It's taken me through, you know, weather, climate, biology, other government agencies, and then, you know, television and sports, which, which are fun stories to have. Were those passions that you had originally or yeah, how exactly did you get involved in this area? So when I was in school, I, I, I kind of drifted, I gravitated towards computer science and I really liked the idea of solving science problems with with computer science right i'm not a scientist by trade i'm a you know i'm a systems person but solving complex problems with increasingly co complex computer systems is interesting because you have so many issues right so in previous jobs i worked on file systems and storage and there's so much work that goes into just that subset of a system to make sure that everything runs correctly um, and it's kind of a never-ending task list right you're always optimizing, you're always making sure things are moving forward. And that continues no matter what you're really supporting, whether it be enterprise or, or scientific. And, you know, we're talking about AI and that's the same, same kind of thing where, you know, all these systems behind the tools that we use are under this kind of constant update cycle where, you know, we may not change them, all, but we're always optimizing, we're always looking for the future. So that's the kind of stuff that I really got drawn to and, and it's stuck. I got stuck here. So not stuck, that's the wrong word. but found a place and, and, and it's, it's still so interesting every day. So it's fun. Yeah, that's amazing. What are you currently most passionate about, whether it be a project or technology mm -hmm. that you're working with? So I think there's a lot of, a lot of fun stuff that we're working on. I mean, obviously in the science areas, but I, I think for me as, you know, as a CTO, I think the, the projects that are most exciting are, are ways that we can make the 
our science workforce or a regular workforce more mobile, right? There's a lot of interesting things that we could do starting at their desktops, right? We can make their desktops more mobile by putting them in the cloud and, and give them what they need when they need it instead of having to kind of either lug around a heavy laptop or, or whatever other equipment. But that also extends out to the field, right? You can extend that model out to the science folks in the field where they can have more compute out there, which means they can do more, right? And then the more they can do, the better off we are for our forecast products, for other products. But I really, you know, having the ability to empower the scientists to do their job and really the IT folks too, right? If they're not, if we're not worried about patching, if we're not worried about, you know, kind of mundane IT tasks, now they're focused on the mission too, right? So I think those kinds of projects that'll, that'll push an organization to a better place overall where, you know, the workforce becomes more mobile. We have more tools available to folks. And now those EIT folks that, that kind of have to focus on normal IT tasks are now looking at mission problems and helping everybody move forward. So, um, I mean, they're interesting technically because you're, you're combining systems and, and kind of stretching across geographies, but from an organizational perspective, those are also super interesting. And then, you know, again, we're talking about AI today. I think AI is one of those things that, or ML, I'll say, is one of those things that can really add um, a lot of benefit to an organization and across the board, right? So from cybersecurity, you know, and making sure that we're keeping everything safe and being, you know, more proactive. Again, you know, the, the machine learning models that they deploy in cybersecurity are meant to make sure that the cybersecurity folks are adding more value to the organization. They're not having to worry about, you know, every little thing, right? That model's out there to help them be more proactive and be more, you know, vigilant in other ways, right? Yeah. Really, really kind of towards that. But that, that extends out to the science, right? Maybe use less processing and weather models because we're deploying machine learning next to it or, or embedded in it. But, but again, it just it opens the field up to either look at a science problem deeper level or, or, or look at a technical problem at a deeper level, which is cool. Okay, awesome. So as a CTO at NOAA, what measures have you seen taken in order to help encourage innovation when it comes to AI in, in your specific sector in government? Mm -hmm. So do it in a couple of different ways. I think, you know, you need a, um, a strong signal from, from leadership, right? And that's science, technical, whatever. And I think that's there in our agency, especially on the science side. And I think that's good, but I think you need to also incentivize and give people the space, and maybe that's more important, give people the space to, to explore. So what we've done uh, within, in my old job at the HPC program, right, we, we've put together a series of hackathons. We work with our partners, right? We find people, with, people propose good ideas, and they get mentoring for a week or some other kind of support, and, and more longer-term support. But, but they have a week or two, or probably more than a week or two now. I think they're, they get a couple you know, a month of working on a part-time and then a week of working on a full-time, but they get support, but they get the space to kind of develop that idea. We have an incubator program that has better, that's growing participation. So we find funding for folks that have these kind of neat ideas, uh, give them the space to do it, right? It may, may be, you know, they have their day jobs and we're not, we can't, you know, displace that, but we can find them help. We can find them funding to get that help or get whatever they need to kind of get that idea out there. And some of those ideas grow up, right? And, and it's wonderful when they do. But all these things are an opportunity for, for the, the folks participating in to learn and the organizational learn, which I think that's what, you know, that's, that's the part that really make, that drives it home, right? When people have, can have that space to have that idea, but also have the support from the organization and go do it. And it, it could be outside of their day job. It can be, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to line up exactly with what they do in their, in their labs or their, their offices, but it's a way to 
incentivize people to start looking at ideas and science problems in different ways. And I think that that's worked out pretty well for us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Talk to me a little bit more about the incubator program. That sounds interesting. Like, how did it get started and how long have you been, has it been a part of the process? So it's probably, it's been, it's been around since I've been around. So it's a good thing. So it started as a technology incubator, right? Where folks within the IT field, you know, would, would, you know, hear, hear ideas to improve our systems or, or processes. Uh, and it's grown up from there where we're, instead of looking, you know, really focusing on the IT, we're focusing on the technical problems that, that support all the, across the mission space. You know, again, it's gone from IT to maybe really focused on HPC or high performance computing and the problems that we solve there. But I think it's expanded now with machine learning and, and cloud computing and other things where, you know, that, that space where people can go and really take a look at things is, um, is growing, right? Because all the, you know, we look at, there have been projects that looked at like hail size and precipitation with machine learning, predicting hail size and, and, or identifying things like right whales from satellite imagery. So, so there's a lot of really neat uh, mission spaces that, that, that people wouldn't have the opportunity to do that, or, or this would help them along, right? They'll take years off of development or months or however they want to get, get however they want to characterize that. But it's just a really, so it's a way for folks to kind of kickstart things and been working for a while. And, and over the last, I'd say um, five years, it's doubled almost consistently year wow. over year where people are looking for, for ways to grow. Wow. So, so it's a nice thing to see that, that demand grow, but it's also a nice thing to see the organization be able to support that growth. So it's, it's, it's a really neat program and, and then, I think it'll grow past what it is now. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Thank you for sharing that. What do you think are some examples that you've seen AI as it can benefit everyone, everyone like in your line of work and the things that you and your team are working on? So I think, well, so there's a couple of ways. I mean, obviously, not obviously, but I think, so let's look at it two different ways, right? So I think there's a lot of opportunity for it to, to, aid the meteorologist or the scientist on the ground or, you know, in, in the forecast pipeline, right? We're, we collect so much data. So to give you an idea of what goes into a forecast, so every six hours the forecast runs and there's something like three and a half billion observations that go into it. Uh, and that, you know, turns into a forecast and then products that you get on your phone and everywhere else. But there's a lot of data out there and we can either better use that data or or use more of it, right? So of the observations that we have, like there are some observations we can't use because we can't process it fast enough or for whatever reason. Mm. But things like machine learning can not take the people out of it, but aid all those folks in that in that forecast chain to use data fast, use, use data in a better way, ingest it faster, and then inject it into the forecast cycle later so they'll have a better result at the end. So, so as a process improver and a model improver, that I think that is one of the, the real benefits to it. But I think there's also, uh, you know, there's also opportunity on the social, like kind of communication side or, or how not we interact with the public, but with, with things like ChatGDP and all these generative and, and large language models, I think there are ways where, you know, we can help, that can help with our communication paths or our ways that we, you know, even the science communication, right? Now, it shouldn't go out and write papers for you, but, but it can certainly help you, you know, It'll aid literature reviews. It'll aid in all, all these kinds of labor-intensive things that we do. But I think that that's kind of the really neat things that we can get there. And, and the communication yeah. part, I think getting someone to listen to a forecast is 
<laughs> is harder than you'd think. <laughs> so finding the right kind of education and getting that into those kinds of models may, may benefit folks right in the future. So Yeah. And so those things, they might be obvious to you, like what that would mean for the general public, let's say, but maybe could you share with our audience a little bit about overall what that would actually mean? Like the, the messages you're trying to get out. Mm -hmm. So for the, for the first part, for the technical part, right, you'll get a better forecast mm -hmm. faster, right? Okay. So, um, you know, generally forecasts and, you know, I think it's every 10 years and you can't quote me on that. Again, I'm not a scientist, but <laughs> I think every 10 years, it basically doubles in kind of precision. So, mm -hmm. you, you know, a 10 day forecast becomes a five day forecast, right? So you get further out on the horizon. So I think that improving that data set, that data pipeline that goes into the forecast has the ability to improve that forecast, you know, out, right? So mm -hmm. instead of 10 days, maybe it's two weeks, whatever that might be. So that's one like better, better data for longer. I think that's the message there. But on the messaging side, you know, there's there's a lot of opportunity there. And again, I'm not a social scientist, I'm not a forecast scientist, but I think there are ways that if if you look at, you know, just how any government agency communicates with the public or their constituents, there's a lot of care that has to go into that. Especially when you're talking about, you know, a hurricane or a flood where, you know, everyone interprets forecasts their own way, right? You really have to convey like you need to leave right now this right so and you can see that forecasting you see that even in you know there's a lot of in you know examples of it in the media but you know these are things that maybe this will help right you know make it into a more understandable message make it into a you know get it into more channels of communication right get it in front of people more i don't know how that would work but i think because we're we're now we're at the point where you know generative ai is actually it sounds authoritative. It may not be, but you know, you have to check it. But yeah. these are things that we can look at to kind of work on communication. Yeah. How is the government planning to monitor and regulate the development and the use of AI into the future? That is a that is a good question. It's a hard question. <laughs> I don't know if I have the right answer or an answer. Or just from your perspective. Well, I, th I think I think from, from my perspective, I think there. Um, so I think there's two parts to it, right? One is 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 the rigor part, right? So from a weather climate, from a, you know, just a scientific perspective, um, I think there's a lot of challenges in, in kind of moving it, moving the ball forward here and making sure that we have, we have answers that we understand, right? So in a, in a normal kind of modeling process, uh, the scientists is constructed in a way where the scientist understands if there are answer changes and why, because the system changed or because they changed a parameter or whatever that might be. And that might not be that clear on the AI side, right? So we really have to kind of come up with that or, or they'll have to work through how, how they develop that rigor and what it means to them, right? Because I think, you know, they're, they're used to this, you know, deterministic modeling, you know, that means you actually do the math and do a prediction instead of probabilistic, which is statistics. They're going to have to figure out what that rigor looks like and how they're going to trust that, that data. Uh, and on the, on the other side of it is the literacy. I think that, you know, I mentioned generative AI a couple of minutes ago, and I think that is a great tool and people will pick it up because it's, you know, it's the best search engine around, right? So people are going to play with it. They're going to play with it at home. They're going to they're want to play with it at work. And that's a great thing, but they have to understand the implications of what injecting data into those tools looks like, how that affects, you know, your organization and you, what it means for security. So there is a lot of literacy that has to go on yeah. on the user side. But I think, again, it's, it's not out of the ordinary. I just think as the power of these tools increase, that literacy has to go up so that you not only understand what you're getting back, but you understand 
you kind of understand what you're getting back, how it came to the answer, and what all you know all the implications of of this tool chain have on your on you, your data, and your organization. Yeah, you kind of started to answer my next question too. Then is that what you would say is the most important concept people need to understand when it comes to AI literacy, or what do you think is the most important concept? No, I think the understanding part, uh, right? It is like any like any tool, right? You need to know not need to know, but should understand how it works. Mm-hmm. Uh, you should understand how how can be used, should be used. You should understand how it could be used for good and bad, because mm-hmm. things can be used for bad just as well as they can for good. And I don't I don't know if not that people I think people understand that. I, I, there is a lot of you know there are a lot of limitations that I don't think people people see the the kind of fancy new tool and they don't kind of. They have to dig a little bit to find those limitations, and I think that that's only, that's as important as the the whiz bang of the fancy new tool, mm-hmm. uh, and especially with these kinds of things that are ingesting so much data, you know, across you know billions of parameters. Now, you're never going to understand. You may not understand the whole tool, but you should understand the implications of its use and what it means for your for your security, not even your organization, but you know your personal data, whatever that is, but but how it affects you across the board. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. How do you think schools and educators can better prepare students to understand and also eventually work with AI? Um, so I think there's a couple of paths there, right? So I think, um, I think, so from a, from a top level, I think having an understanding of a domain is, is like, so I'm a computer scientist, right? I'm not a scientist. Mm-hmm. I say that, I say that, <laughs> but, 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 you know, having that mix of computer science or, and, you know, physical science or biological, whatever that domain, it gives you a lot of context, right? So, so not actually as for a student, it's a powerful tool, right? Being able to speak across two, two different disciplines is, is, is good for your career, mm-hmm. but, but it's, it's good for science, right? Because now you can bounce across those two things, but having a domain knowledge is important because you know how the data gets generated, you know how the data gets used. So it becomes base level data literacy, but it's also, I think, you know, getting out and doing some more real world work would help folks kind of understand, like, here's a data set, you know, Mm -hmm. how do we, how does this, you know, from a government perspective, how does this data affect the public? How does it affect, you know, the economic, right? Because data, data has that weird tendency of affecting lots of things that we don't really think about, but kind of, so if you have that literacy, you understand how the data is put together and, you know, the mechanics of how to use it with AI, that's great. But then you have to have the literacy side of how is this used in the scientific field or how is it consumed by a government agency or a university or a company or whatever that is, right? Because I think a lot of people can get to those insights and, and you know, you know, you know, fun with statistics, as I like to call it. But having the kind of wider picture of how this data works and how it, how it gets used and what, you know, the good, like just like security, the good and the bad, right? How how use it for good and bad and, and kind of understand that. So I think it's, it's more of a... It's more of expanding across the computer science side, which where I think a lot of these folks come from, and and that's great because I'm, a, you know, that's where I came from. But having that either a little bit broader knowledge, but also broader knowledge in the social context of how these tools kind of play in our lives and yeah. how it works. Am I hearing you allude to internships or you know real world practical mm-hmm. experiences that they can kind of do it out in the field, if you will? Yeah, I mean, I think. Listen, I. I, I'm here because of an internship. So, mm. right. I'm a big fan of internships. I yeah. think they should be supported and, and it's not for the benefit of, of the organization I work for, or it's for the students, right. That's what yeah. we're here for. So I think internships are good. I think, um, you know, really having, 
interactions between you know a government agency and a school or or a company in school i think those are um those are really interesting setups for for success right yeah. uh, people get you see your mission you meet new students that's a good thing but but they get a broader broader context of the world right other than you know here's the theory behind this whatever it is and and go go apply it somewhere now i'm applying it somewhere important right so not important but somewhere practical so you can kind of see how the the world works so to speak before you get out of school yeah super valuable mm -hmm. that's great mm -hmm. What are some examples of successful applications that you've seen in government agencies or your own agency? Application of AI or? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I think um, I'm trying to think of past the, uh, the kind of basic ones like mm -hmm. email. Like, you know, <laughs> so one of, I think one of the, one of the evolving ones, and we won't say it's, it's, you know, it's not certainly not deployed everywhere, but I think one of the, one of the really kind of interesting things that machine learning can do is at uh, again it's in the field right so machine learning doesn't take nearly as much computing as say high performance computing application right so you can package it on a small thing maybe an uncrewed vehicle or on the bottom of a boat whatever that might be right at a field station but you can do a lot of computing there uh, and, and get really good results out of a small model on a small piece of hardware or at least prep data for better use slate down down the chain so i think so there's that right you have this now power of doing things in the field that you couldn't do before, right? You had to send the data back and, and wait. Now you can do it in situ, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But it also aids the, the forecaster or the field personnel in, in a little bit deeper, more impactful way is because they can, they can do the job that a forecaster can't do or shouldn't do because they may get hurt, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so instead of, you know, putting a diver in the water, you put a camera in the water. Instead of sending someone chasing a storm, you put an uncrewed vehicle in it, uh, which means you can get more data, right? Like, so if you put, you know, an uncrewed vehicle in the ocean, it could take surface conditions at the edge of the hurricane where you would never ask a person to do that. And even the people who do go into that, right? There's a bunch of pilots that, that fly into hurricanes and um, they have the best job in NOAA. You know, I can't say anything else besides that, but mm -hmm. all these things can be deployed now in their, in their plane. They have better instruments, better instruments means better data, which means that may, that flight is more impactful. Right. So, so again, these things are, I think are all developing as we kind of go down the path, but I think those are the kinds of machine learning edge applications that will, that'll really make an impact. Yeah. Uh, right. Oh yeah. That's huge. And then what do you think? Big question, but what do you think the future of AI is going to look like and the impact that it's going to have? So I don't think it'll be small. <laughs> so, I mean, you're talking about something that's going to creep into, creep is the wrong word. It's going to, it's going to be part of your everyday life. It is already part of your everyday life, whether you're, you know, right, you're, you're in front of an iPad now and it's got Siri and Siri has some modicum of machine learning somewhere, whether it's on your tablet or somewhere else. And it's in your email and it's in your, it'll be somewhere in your word processor and everywhere else. So I think it's going to um, affect us all. I think that, you know, in, so for on a day-to-day -day basis, I think we're going to have to get used to it, understand it um, because now, you know, it, it speaks almost natural language and it sounds pretty authoritative and you have to understand what that means and, and how to kind of find your way through that data. But I think from, you know, a personal perspective, right? It's going to be in everything. And, 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 you know, that's good. And there's some things you have to worry about uh, from a, from a, you know, agency perspective, I think it's going to really be one of those things that can help push our mission 
to to new to a new level. I, I don't know how to say that the right way, but it it's you know from a from a base you know perspective, if we put machine learning into the modeling pipeline, we may be able to save compute for things that really need to. Like if a model's smart enough, it can go and 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 really pay attention to a hurricane in a model and say, okay, you need to do something about this. But you know, so I think it's going to be transformative. It'll be something that again we'll have to all get used to. But and I think we're already in that process. We're just now it's kind of a little bit closer closer home, I guess. Yeah, it's not going away. No, it's not going <laughs> to stop. <laughs> cool. Well, before I end with my final wrap up question, I want to thank you for your time and joining us today. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you'd like me to ask you, or anything we haven't touched yet? Um. So. Here, well, so we talked about you know AI literacy and what that meant from a from a student perspective, what what people needed, and I think you know there's a broader uh, thing to kind of talk about in terms of literacy with you know not just scientists, university students, but in general, I think you know people kind of focus on the new technology, but there is always a demand for kind of the broad spectrum of technology and, and kind of understanding how organizations use that tech that that broad spectrum is important too for for someone like a student mm -hmm. when they're coming out of school because now you know either they have to relearn old stuff that they don't teach anymore or <laughs> or, or you know i work in an organization that has a, a lot of fortran and i learned how to write fortran at NOAA, not at school so so i think i think part of that is you know is on us as an organization but you know across the board um, it's not just kind of pressing forward with the new technologies although they're really important but there has to be some, there's got to be a broader spectrum of kind of understanding the technology pipeline as it, you know, it's going to evolve and, you know, maybe it won't have the, the tools that we use now, but you have to understand that coming to school. Otherwise you kind of start from, from zero yeah. and have to relearn stuff in a different language. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing that with us. All right, Frank, my last question. If you were to write a book, maybe you plan to one day, I don't know. If you were to plan to write a book, what would you write about and why? All right, so it's gonna sound silly. That's so okay. if I were to write a book, I would probably write. So like it'd be like a travel book, mm -hmm. but it would probably be like a kid's travel book. I don't know how that works, but like when when we go on vacations, I, I tend to come up with silly stories to keep people entertained about you know local wildlife and stuff. So that's I cool. But that's kind of a silly little thing that I do. But it's not uh, silly. I I love that. <laughs> so that would probably be it, but. That's awesome. So it's geared towards kids. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, to keep them like entertained or I keep you know, I have that kind of storytelling like that that's my <laughs> level of storytelling. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. probably necessary get those kids off those iPads. Yeah. Give them something to read, right? <laughs> well, like, it was like you know, here like we went to Argentina uh, right before it, my wife and I got married and there was, you know, in the southern we were in southern I think it was Argentina, it might have been Chile. But there's just dogs like they're, not, they're, they're neighborhood dogs, but there's no like there's no they don't they don't live in yards. They just live in town. Right? Yeah. So you see the same dogs every day and like that, that dog is going here and they, you know, and they, you know, and all of a sudden the little stories popped up around them. And that's why. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I love it. Thank you for sharing that with <laughs> us. Yeah. Thank you so much for all of your insight. I know our listeners are going to take away a lot of good information and we've got a panel coming up too. Yeah. So even more opportunity to share the things that you've learned. So we really appreciate it, Frank. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Frank, for joining us today. 
I learned a lot from your presentation and I wanted to thank Kirsten again for guiding that conversation and giving us all the information we needed out of today's episode. We hope to see everyone again in the next episode of AI Proficiency, turning tomorrow into today. Bye everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of AI Proficiency, turning tomorrow into today. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, make sure to like, follow, and subscribe, and share this podcast within your network. These actions move mountains for our mission of sharing artificial intelligence knowledge. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week on our next episode of AI Proficiency, turning tomorrow into today.